Hello and welcome back to the latest Think Business podcast powered by Bank of Ireland. Ex-Irish rugby player Shane Lee has combined his passion for business with a passion for charity and his One for Humanity charity is currently helping people on the ground in Ukraine. Lee, who is group CEO of Oxygen 8 Group, felt compelled to help as he experienced firsthand the impact of the war on the people in Ukraine. He recently secured 5 million euros worth of supplies from Heart to Heart charity and he talks about why he decided to help. Shane, it's great to have you here. Um, Shane, you're famous for both on the pitch and for business. Uh, I, I recall reading you were runner-up in the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Awards there about a decade ago. And um, you know, But I think the latest uh, field in which you're probably going to be noted for is, is your work con- currently with uh, Ukraine. And uh, if you don't know who Shane is, Shane uh, runs the Oxygen 8 Group, which has operations in over 20 countries, turnover in excess of £90 million. And he recently established the One for Humanity charity, along with Irish humanitarian um, Norman Sheehan, to provide essential assistance such as medical aid in the immediate aftermath of emergencies. So can I ask you about it, really, Shane? I mean, we were just talking there beforehand, and I'm a keen student of history and geography and geopolitical stuff, and I... You know, at times when you see all the either drama in Russia with uh, Wagner and the the political stuff, you forget really what's happening on a day to day basis. And sometimes you might zero in on things like, you know, the uh, counter offensive and you know how that's doing. But it's literally just more than a year since this whole thing took the world by surprise, and we learned of what happened in the aftermath, and we're still learning um, about what's happening even close to the front lines in, in, in liberated territories and all that. But we forget about the human aspect of it. And and um, tell us about why you set up the charity and the kind of things you were responding to with it. Yeah. First of all, thank you very much for having me on. Um, I set up the charity with Norman, as I said, just a number of months ago. I actually happened to be in Kiev for the first time in the Ukraine just before the war uh, broke out or just before the invasion happened. We had a an African-based um, uh, mobile technology company that we were in discussions with a Ukrainian bank about buying. They subsequently didn't purchase it, but I happened to be there just before the war. So when then the war kicked off, um, I contacted a friend of mine, Ray Jordan, who was the CEO of Goethe, and I asked him, could I could I assist? Is there anything I could do? And of course, he was looking for some money, so I, I assisted with that. And then he rang me to say that he had a plane landing in Slovakia and could I get over to help him distribute it? So I ended up that evening uh, being on the ground in Slovakia, and um, we started um, putting some infrastructure in place to be able to deliver that. And that infrastructure, we got in contact with Business Connections to CMARC, which is the biggest uh, cement company in Ukraine. It's owned by CRH, the Irish mm. company. And their um, director of logistics is a, a Limerick man um, called Damien Lynch. So I hooked up with Damien. And to cut a long story short, we were able to put warehouses in place in Slovakia and Ukraine and utilize their logistics to bring aid um, right into the far reaches of Ukraine and right up to the front lines. So we had a, quite a unique solution that we were able to put in place quite quickly. And then we had a number of donors, including Garda Shiakana, who arrived over with a, a a fleet of of vehicles carrying aid, and we were able to take that into our warehouse and distribute it on. And I guess that's that's where it started. Um, there was a couple of different iterations in relation to that, but we then um, got on in contact um, through Norman Sheehan with. Uh, Heart to Heart International, who are based out of the US, 
and we were able to take them into Ukraine and show them the infrastructure that we had put in place. And thankfully, they started working with us and we've delivered uh, 15 hospital units, which are effectively operating theatres self-contained in a can and over 40 million of aid with them. So we've 40 been able million. to scale it. Wow. Yeah, that's, 40 that's, million. that's an impressive number. And, and like when you see the kind of uh, the work you've done in terms of the infrastructure, and you mentioned there the Garda Shia like to generate 40 million worth of aid in, in the period since you started this, uh, tell, talk to me about the donors and how they've reacted and partly how you reacted to, to what you saw there on the ground and what, why it needed this. Yeah, it, it was horrific in the early days, obviously. Um, we ha- we were on, operating on the Ukrainian side of the border, but very close to the border at the time. Um, the health system had been requisitioned by the army. There was confusion and panic within the country. You'll remember the 40-mile column of Russian troops that were heading basically through the company, and everybody thought that they would run like a juggernaut through the country. Thankfully, that didn't happen. The Ukrainians fought back incredibly uh, incredibly well uh, um and they the, you know the transformation in the country since has just been outstanding phenomenal um i was there last week as i was telling you and i actually happened not happened but we traveled around pretty much all of the country with two local mps and the transformation has just been incredible you know kiev is a vibrant busy city again the mm. restaurants bars traffic is all there so it's been transformational what they have done um, I guess just some of the, you know, the uh, in the early days when the um, first number of weeks, everybody was was pushing over towards the border. There was a big humanitarian crisis because of the amount of people that were there. But it was to see the families break up, men over 18 and under tw- under 60 weren't allowed to leave the country. So mm. typically you'd see families, you'd have a wife and two children and a husband going to the border and we had a number of cases where, you know, the, the kids literally have to be pulled off their, their fathers. Uh-huh. They don't know if they're going to see them again at the time. The father has gone off to join the army or go to the war to, to kill or be killed. So it's just an yeah. absolute horrific situation. It, it, it's, it's, it's the kind of stuff that we just can't crystallise in our own minds here because, you know, you know, it's just we're we're so far from that, and I mean, even even arguably a year or two ago, most normal people in Ukraine were so far from that, and it's now you you, you have those those situations. And the other thing that is, is is like the reality is that a huge chunk of Ukraine is still you know occupied, and that means that for some time, I don't know how none of us know how long how how long this will go on for, and and you know how 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 it will get, play out, but certainly your services and the services of your charity will be required. I mean, is what you're doing helping on an ongoing basis behind the lines or is it also going to be really required when, you know, hopefully, you know, the the the, uh, the whole thing reaches a, a, a safe conclusion and, you know, there'll be a lot of work to be done, I imagine, in occupied ter- formerly occupied territories. Yeah, there will, but I guess our our role is to is, is to be there at the moment to be yep. uh, to assist in the crisis situation. I would love to be made redundant as quickly as possible from mm. Ukraine. And I think it will happen, and and hopefully relatively quickly. The Ukrainians have have organised themselves so well. They, you know, the counteroffensive is happening. It's slower than anybody would like it to progress, but they certainly are going forward and and uh, and pushing forward on an ongoing basis. We were in Kremitoresk. We were in Kherson. There are cities that have just been last week, and there are cities that have just been liberated. Um, and you know, they're rebuilding all of them as they go. Like I was mm-hmm. Kiev. You can't see any damaged buildings. They've rebuilt them. Bucha, Erpan were the ones that were formerly occupied by the Russian soldiers and completely destroyed. 
I was there in February and they were being rebuilt and I was there a, a week or two ago and they're now rebuilt and open again. So it's phenomenal work that they're doing. And even then, you know, up till I was some surreal situations, they were building roads up to about 10 kilometers from the front, um, laying tarmac and roads and things like that. The farmers are planting, you know, up to a few kilometers from the front. You can hear the, the shelling and the farmers are out in the fields planting. So it's 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 phenomenal the way it's transformed and what they're doing on the ground there. But it's also equally frightening what's left behind after war as well, isn't there, like in terms of munitions and, you know, cluster bomb explosions. I think there was a debate there. Yeah. Someone's talking about, you know, the uh, use of cluster ammunition by the Ukrainians and someone's saying, well, it's nothing compared to, like, let's say 10% of munitions of a cluster bomb uh, don't get expended. They're going to be lying around for decades and dangerous. Uh, the ones used by the Russians, up to 40% of the ammunition could be there. So there's lots of danger in the years ahead. And uh, do, do you tend to be there for that in terms of how you help? We Well, uh, first of all, I guess a surreal situation. I was in Odessa last week and Odessa is an absolutely beautiful city. It reminded me of Vienna. It is you know, just a gorgeous place. To, the architecture, the atmosphere even, um, absolutely beautiful. And there are actually the bars again and restaurants are open. And the seafront there is vibrant with cafes and things like that. And there's people out sunbathing and enjoying the, the the hot weather and things like that. But there's nobody in swimming. You can't go in swimming because of the explosion on the dam that washed uh, landmines, bodies, animals God. into the Black Sea. And because of the amount of landmines that were washed into the Black Sea, they have got to pick through it very, very slowly. So it's going to take them some time to clean that up. Uh, so you're in Odessa, which is paradise, and you're looking out at hell. And that's basically what it is. And it's just a completely Gosh. surreal situation, you know. And like, uh, can I ask you about then, I uh, used to take a lot of interest in, in European startups and I used to see a lot of, uh, and I would have known Ukrainian people over the years. Uh, I would have met through, through conferences and whatnot. And I've often been struck by particularly how how vibrant they were in terms of software and, and technology. Yeah. And one of the things that struck me there um in one of the early reports from the war, um, I remember uh, some uh, a woman entrepreneur was on TV and she was talking away, and then there was a report showing that she had been killed in a in in in, in, a, in a in a rocket attack, and it showed her offices were very modern and the kind of thing you'd relate to here. You go into anywhere in Dublin, you'd see an office just like it, and then you see the destruction afterwards. And it kind of brings it home. Um, would you pay an interest in, in in terms of the post-war Ukrainian entrepreneurial scene, do you think do you think that's something that's worth getting behind and supporting in, ter in terms of, you know, the kind of, you know, you, you run an international business and you're active in 20 countries, said, is that, is that and, and as you said, you were, you were in Ukraine for business. Uh, do, you think, do you think maybe taking an interest in Ukrainian entrepreneurs post-war would be something you'd be interested in? I think there's, there is huge opportunities. I know of an Irish company already that's buying businesses in Ukraine at the moment. Mm. And I think huge opportunities there for others, but not for me, I guess. Mm. My my um, experience there on the ground now is, is, is in one side of it, which is the humanitarian side of things. Mm. So I don't think I'm from that into a business side of things. So it's not, but, mm. I, but there is no doubt there will be significant opportunities, but for others. Yeah, and fair enough. And, and like in terms of balancing that, you balancing your interest in humanitarian work with your, um, you know, your 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 ongoing business. I mean, is it a tough balancing act? It is a very tough balancing act. <laughs> uh, the more you do in Ukraine, the more thankful they are. The more you, you know, uh, gotten a hell of a lot more out of it from myself in terms of a feel good factor than I than I than I could put in. Mm -hmm. um, so you get, you get pulled into it. You do. 
you help them and they're so grateful and you know they are fighting a war on our behalf i have no doubt mm. that if ukraine had fallen and fallen quickly as it was expected to that russia would have gone into moldova and then you've just got you know all altogether different level of a war so they're fighting on our behalf so i think we should be supporting them in any way possible um and that's that's sort of what i got involved i have two sons who were in their early 20s and i just you know if you know if i'm not willing to help out are they going to be pulled into it in some way shape or form and that's the hmm. what i was thinking um yeah and and like uh, i suppose was 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 charity something you'd always been interested in taking part in or is this kind of more of uh brought you in a new direction in your life in terms of Sorry, charity was something I was always interested in. Um, we, as a business, we took uh, 20 staff globally to Haiti a number of years ago, and we worked mm. on a, a farm in Haiti. It was more team building and to give back socially. Uh, another, another stage, we took, uh, again, 20 staff to South Africa, and we built some social houses down in South Africa, and I had done some previous work to that. So I think from a... I've always been interested. This is obviously on a completely different level or scale, mm. Um previously but um you know the more you do it the more it sucks you in and the more you know you enjoy doing it so you want to do it and you want to get out there and, and try and uh, try and assist yeah i was thinking a lot about your career uh, as a sports person and then you know building a you know a global company um and i've often thought you know i come across quite a few people who had been in the sports world before uh going into business and you often think you know i often wonder when i look at people who spend you know let's say the best part of their 20s playing professional rugby or something like that that's a huge chunk of your life and i often wonder well, how do you when you when you finish that and then you you try to go into the business world you, you're you essentially a little later on than most people who have come out of college because you've given such a chunk of your life but then again um i've discovered lots of people who've been in ex-military for example who've been in the army and stuff you know and then, then transition to a business career and um and i was thinking about your own business transition do you feel that the that your career in sports set you up nicely for business and does it how does it help you on a day-to-day basis um absolutely um I was looking to play rugby in, in both sides of it. I had the, a few years amateur and then I had a few years professional. So, mm. you know, both sides were different, but very, very enjoyable um, number of years. It helps you in a number of ways. One, it certainly increases your profile. So you do have access to people and businesses that you wouldn't uh, otherwise have access to. But also you're working as part of a team. You're mm. You know, you're working hard for the team. You're working together, and you're putting your all of your efforts into a common goal. And it's it's similar to business, I think, in that regard, in that you can't do anything individually. You've got to pull your team together, um, and all team members react in a different way. Some team members you have to, you know, you have to um, push them aggressively. Other team members would then would react badly to that. So you've got to put an arm around their shoulder and bring them on. And that was the same way in rugby. Um, you you know there was some that you had to get riled up. There was some that you had to put your arm around your shoulder. And same as business, same as building any team, um, you got to unite them behind a goal of whatever it is, and then bring them, bring the team forward as a part of it. You know, so it's a, so it has been very helpful to me from a business perspective. And as I said, the the, the profile from the rugby side of things, particularly mm. at the time, Monster were just starting on a on an incredible journey, which ultimately ended up very successfully after I left, unfortunately. But, uh, <laughs> Was, uh, so, you know, the profile of it was fantastic as well. So it helped in a number of different ways. And tell us about how you built the business to what it was. I mean, like in terms or to what it is, you know, it's it's, it's kind of like um, it's a global company. And, and, yeah. and I, often, I often think the hardest thing of business is people, too, as well. You know, it's, it's as you mentioned, the psychology is very, very important. And, and obviously that helped 
you know, as you became a leader in business as much as a leader on the field. Uh, talk to me about the, how the, build, the opportunity you saw and how you went about scaling the business. Yeah, um, my story is a little bit different than that, in that um, I joined the business. I, I mm. set up the Irish business. When I came out of rugby, I set up the Irish business uh, for them. And within about three years, I then took over as the group CEO. And we grew it very, very substantially from about mm. 30 million or 100 million um, in the business. So uh, we we were, as, as you said, it's very important to get the right staff. And we were lucky enough to partner with the right people in different countries. I spent a lot of time in uh, traveling in planes to Australia, right across Africa, US, uh, Caribbean. So we were, you know, we were getting out there, meeting people, putting the right people in place. And thankfully, most of the time we got it right. We didn't get it right all of the time. Uh, we did have a very substantial fraud in Africa, unfortunately, but you just got to deal with that as well and, mm. and, 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 and move on from it. And thankfully, we've, we've had a, a very successful business and we're sort of in a different phase now. And I suppose that's what gives me a little bit more time. We now have multiple different companies that were operating within the group so we've started to break them up and break them out so in ireland we have a business called the engage hub which mm. now has its own management team it's completed a, a partial management buyout and it deals with um you know it has some very nice customers in bank of ireland um etc sainsbury so it's a very nice unit and and I, while a director of it i have limited input into the into the day-to-day -day management of it which frees me up to do other things so it's i suppose i i can assist in ukraine because i we've we've put the right people in place that are now taking those businesses forward it's all about structure isn't it you know once you once you line the tanks up on the lawn that's a terrible analogy when we're done what we're doing but you know what i mean once you've got everything lined up properly um you know it should run itself some things really it's putting the right team in place, as we were saying, in relation to it, and get and letting them get on with it because they're the guys that are going to to drive it on the ground. So that's the most important thing. And how and again, did you find? Sorry, how did you find the pandemic for for business in terms of how you uh, conducted the business, managed through the business, but also you mentioned as well um, you were in Ukraine just before the war began, and that was just kind of at the tail end of when things were really opening up and on this side of the world as well. Yeah, um, our businesses, it, it helps some of our businesses because we're in digital transformation. So it's sort mm. of it, it speeded up the process of companies looking to do digital transformation. So those businesses thrived. We had other businesses then um, that that didn't do so well because of the pandemic. So we were sort of lucky we had a balance in relation to it. But it was certainly a, 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 a strange and scary time for all of us. Um, I uh, as I mentioned earlier, I was doing quite a bit of traveling, so it sort of uh, uh, it stopped a lot of that travel, which was which was a positive for me, I guess, at the time. And looking to the future, um, the 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 work you've done in the last year with the charity in Ukraine, uh, it was just running through my head there. And when we mentioned structure, like surely uh, what you've learned, all the stuff you've learned in the last year, the, the systems you've put in place, this, the kind of infrastructure you've put around it. Uh, you know, and hopefully, as you say, you know, to borrow a term, you know, you eventually become redundant in Ukraine and hopefully. Yep. But do, do you see yeah. everything you've put together, I suppose, the playbook of what you've done becoming useful for, you know, other other situations, other hotspots around the world? Is, do you think this could become a lifelong passion for you? Absolutely. And that's what I'm looking to do with it. Um, as I said, we've delivered about 40 million of aid to date. Um, heart to Heart International has just committed another 5.1 million of which is, was collected on Wednesday in um, in Kansas City in the US. So we're expecting that in the next day or so to be delivered in Ukraine. 
And again, from there, as I mentioned earlier, we're piggybacking on CMARC, CRH company in Ukraine, and they're delivering it for, out from there. So it's be, enabled us to keep a very, um, you know, very cost effective solution that we've put in place. And that's, you know, we, you know, we have two staff that are managing that. We have warehouses in place, but they're warehouses that are uh, that we're, we're not paying for, that we're piggybacking on. Mm-hmm. And then the distribution network is the same thing again. And I think that's replicable in a number of different countries. Uh, there is a, a large Irish company operating in Mozambique um, that have their own ships, they have their own trucks, they have their own warehouses. And again, I'm speaking to them about potentially providing aid into northern Mozambique where there's a problem. So again, low costs so that we can scale it on a significant basis. Uh, myself and Norman are, are, we're volunteers, so we're not taking salaries. We're paying all of our own expenses. So uh, we're paying our own flights, accommodation and everything like that. So it enables us to keep um, the, the costs very tight and then we can scale it because of the partnerships that we put in place. So I'll be, and again, this is part of the charity is that I'm looking for other Irish companies or any other global companies that have infrastructure in place. You know, it's, it's, it's it's a low cost for them as well because we'll do all of the work in terms of getting the aid to um, Ukraine in this case and then distributing it from there, uh, but piggybacking on their existing um, their existing infrastructure. So again, uh, we have done a food distribution in northern Kenya, which is kind of a little bit of a, a departure on it, but obviously. Uh, I've had businesses in Kenya, and there's been a significant drought in northern Kenya for the last four years. And um, that's been further exasperated by two things. One, the the Ukrainian grain is not as available as it was. And the Russian fertilizer is uh, not as readily available because they're using it as a political toy, you know, further afield. So um, don't speak out against the war. You get your fertilizer, speak out against the war and you don't get your fertilizer. So it's having a significant effect down there. Um, so we've done our first food distribution again. Heart to Heart International have agreed to work with us in 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 Kenya and hopefully further afield. Um, so we we look to put the same model in place. We look to put a low cost, um, um, efficient um, distribution mechanism in place to assist there. So it's a, a noble pursuit has become a life pursuit, and that's great. Was with that, <laughs> Shane Lee. Thank you so much for your time. That was really good and really uh, inspirational. Thank you so much. Good time, I appreciate it.